Canyoneering is a dangerous sport and should not be attempted by anyone. The hosts of this podcast and its guests do stupid things outdoors and frequently give bad advice and incorrect information. Listening to this podcast is known to cause cancer in the state of California. To reduce the threat of harm, listeners should wear a mask, earplugs, and stay indoors. And now, the unqualified hosts of the Canyon Tech Podcast, Wayne and Vin. Hey, hey everybody. So this is Wayne. I have Vin over here with me. Say hi, Vin. Hey, how's it going? Great. So Vin and I have been canyoneering for a number of years now, and uh, we've learned a lot of lessons, done some uh, fun things, some stupid things, tried a lot of different uh, equipment and ideas. Sometimes we have uh, more money than sense and things that we've purchased. So we wanted to uh, bring some of that experience to the canyoneering community. And there's some other canyoneering podcasts that talk about, you know, stories of various canyons. And we wanted to get into the nuts and bolts. So we'll start uh, today's podcast with a little bit about, you know, the basic equipment we'll roll into in future podcasts, a little more about, um, you know, the the more advanced equipment that you need once you, you, you know, get past the basics and just getting down the canyon safely, and you want to do a little bit more in terms of uh, rescue, self-rescue, those types of things. And then ultimately, we'll start rolling into and talking about um, other, you know, examples of and uh, analyzing different systems for rescue, lessons learned from things that we see in the news about what happens to folks, et cetera. So, um, but that's, so that's, so today we're going to start talking about basic equipment, but Vin, uh, why don't we just start by, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, well, I kind of spent my formative years in Thailand. Um, and then, yeah, no, no one cares, Vin. Let's, let's talk about canyoneering much better. Okay. So the, let's start off with the, the first piece of equipment that we of course have to have our harnesses. And, um, there's two types and a lot of folks who come from the climbing world, or maybe you want to buy a slightly cheaper harness will come, um, with a climbing harness uh, versus a canyoneering harness. And Vin, maybe tell me a couple of the basics between those two and how they differed a little bit. Sure. Uh, you know, I look at the climbing harnesses and they, they seem very similar. They're both designed to, you know, support weight when you're on rope. Um, but I think the biggest difference for me is probably the orientation of the belay loop. Yes. Yeah. So uh, for those that you don't know, canyoneering loops will have a horizontal orientation. So when you're getting on descent, it'll be oriented the way you want it for the rope to smoothly run through the system. And, um, and the climbing harnesses have that primary connection loop, which connects your, um, your leg loops and your waistband uh, together. So you've got, uh, it's in a horizontal. And it, it doesn't really make a huge difference because your, your descender will turn on its own. And some people can put a little um, repeat, a quick link in between to, to turn it a little bit. Um, I guess the other aspect of the devices when you're, sorry, the, uh, the harnesses when you're getting them, buying them in the first place is there's the single buckle versus double buckle. So on the, um, the double buckle, you just kind of pull one direction along the side of your waist and it'll snug up and hold in place. And then you kind of have to flip the buckles in the other direction in order to loosen back up. So that is nice and safe and easy. And frankly, you can just loosen those and um, take, your, take your harness off no problem. The other uh, type is the single buckle. Vin, you want to talk about the, the dangers and the, of the single buckle? Yeah, with the single buckle, um, I think it's just it's a point of uh, 
it's a point of connection that you don't have to check with the single buckle. You're just going to tighten it and then it auto locks on itself. So, so with the single, you have to make sure that you're doubling back. And, and as you get out into the uh, canyoneering world, when you're checking out your friends before they go down, you have to make sure that those single buckles are double back correctly because otherwise they will pull out under load. So that is the, the careful thing. So again, when you're shopping for a harnesses, most of the modern ones will have the, the double buckle, which makes life easier. And again, a little more uh, foolproof. But, um, but, uh, but the single ones do exist and they're, they're just as strong. Um, the other thing that you have to pay attention to and are really good when you get into canyoneering is that butt scoot. So you've got a piece of plastic that goes from the back side of your waistband all the way to your leg loops. And so the advantages of the butt scoot, what do you think, Vin? Yeah. You know, for me as a larger guy, I'm definitely a lot harder on my equipment and because I'm a little less sure footed. I wind up spending a lot of time sliding down rock and it either will tear through my pants or in the case of like the harnesses I use, it definitely protects my body and my clothes a lot better than if I didn't have the butt scoot. Yeah. And I've, I've seen the rips in your pants, Vin. It's not, it's not pretty. So (laughs) I I would suggest it's, it's really great uh, to protect your clothes because you can rip in a lot of these canyons, especially if you get into limestone and some of the other sharper rocks, um, you know, sandstone's a little bit nicer on your clothes, but you're going to want to make sure that you're protecting it as much as possible. So those butt scoots will save you a lot of pair of pants um, in the end. Um, so look for that. And again, you can buy those separately. Sometimes they're replaceable if you're really hard on them. Um, depends on your your harness and whether you um, want to be able to and can thread one in um, kind of second uh, if you didn't buy it uh, that way in the first place. Um, and then the last thing that I've seen is your gear loops and you want to make sure from a harness perspective, I actually, um, was looking at some online and realized that the gear loops are on the right, uh, and there was only one. And so you want to make sure there are significant gear loops on the, uh, climbing harnesses. There tend to be gear loops all over the place, including in the back and canyoneering, not quite as necessary. Usually you just need the one gear loop. And if you're right-handed, um, you tend to keep things on the left side to keep it away from the rope. And so you want to make sure that the gear loop, at least one, is is on the opposite side from what you're going to rappel on. Yeah, you know, the other thing I would say, too, about harnesses um, is looking at, like, how long you're actually designed to be spent uh, sitting in it. So if you look at, like, a speed harness, right, they're so thin, um, which is really great because they're ultra light. But you can't spend a lot of time in it without it's cutting off your circulation. And it's kind of the same concept with like the climbing harnesses. It's, you know, it's designed to go up and then you rappel down short. But as canyoneers, we spend a lot of time in that sitting position. And especially if you get stuck, that's when you start worrying about like suspension trauma. Um, And it's not quite as comfortable as a big wall harness, but it is definitely an aspect to take a look at. Yeah. And everybody's body is different, of course. So you want to feel if you can, how that harness is fitting you. And there's some adjustments to be made in terms of, you know, tucking in your shirt and pulling your pants up and those types of things. Your skin's not rubbing directly in on some of the pinch points. But for the most part, you want to be comfortable because as Vin says, sometimes you end up on repel for a longer period of time than you would like. And you want to make sure that that's as comfortable as can be. Okay. Anything else you can think of about your harness? It's a lot of good choices there. Mm, just that it, it is somewhat adjustable. Like you can add extra gear loops. Um, and there are other things that you can make it more personalized to yourself. Yeah, and I will say they do come in different sizes. So you'll have, you know, some, some maybe one size fits all. Um, and if you're, 
very petite that may be a little bit bigger. So different brands will have different sizes. Um, so you're not, you know, having to have a foot and a half of excess on the harness, even though it technically would fit you and keep you safe. Um, it may be a little bit more. So trying to find a harness that may have a couple of different sizes could be good. Um, depending on, depending on your size to, you know, a little big or a little small, um, you might want to, uh, pick a harness that best matches your body size. All right. So let's talk a, a little bit about the next thing that goes on to the harness is the descender. So obviously the purpose of the descender is you're trying to create some friction uh, between the rope and your device and you to slow you down. So you'll see a lot of them that have various options, the arms, the legs, the horns for wrapping, um, because you want to add, you want to be able to add and sometimes subtract friction, um, ideally as you go or sometimes before you actually repel. And so some of the consideration. So you can, um, you know, a lot of people will pick uh, like a critter as a common device, right? Uh, especially for new folks that get into canyoneering. There's people that I know have been doing it um, that go out with us been, and have been doing it for years that are still using it and are very happy with a critter and it works well for them. Um, didn't work as well for me. Um, I know you're, you and I are both over 200 pounds. We won't give the specifics, but it's, um, it, it's not perfect for me. You can give me your experience. My problem was it always felt like it was either too much friction or too little. And then you've got uh, problems with the friction depending on the rope. So some are fatter and thinner, some are faster um, uh, or slower if they're newer or a little bit fuzzy. And then you get into the canyons themselves. So now you're going to have dirt and sand on them. Um, they may be wet um, all over or wet in spots. So you're constantly adjusting your friction for each rappel, depending on how big the rappel is and the condition of the rope, or maybe even the style and brand of the rope. And so being able to have those options is, I think, really important. Yeah. And just to add on to that, I think, too, that you're you're looking to add and remove friction. Um, as you say, some of them are are, are preset, whether the rope is fat, whether it's wet, but also as you traverse over the terrain, you're looking at um, a more vertical section, a more slope section, and then I'm, now I'm free hanging, and then I'm, got, now I'm getting towards the end of the rope, I'm going faster. All of these require slight adjustments as I'm going. Yeah, that's a great point. And so you're going to want to make sure, you know, regardless of what, what you pick out of the gate, um, and, you know, we're not trying to recommend or, sh you know, get you to shy away from any specific brands, although there'll be a few that we talk about in a second. Um, you're just going to want to make sure that it works for you over time. And, um, and and there's not a one size fits all. And there's a lot of different types of descenders. But what we will try to um, get you to shy away from is there's two things that uh, we see brand new canyoneers use. And one is just the simple figure eight. And so it looks exactly like an eight. And uh, what's the biggest problem with the figure eight? Yeah, it's just the ability not to add. You, there's no ability to add friction. Like you're kind of set. Um, and, you know, you can rig something, but it is significantly more complicated than the options that we're talking about. Yeah. So if you use a figure eight, and I have because sometimes, I, you know, one of our parties has forgotten their descender or someone who is new to the group showed up without one. So I've given my main one and then use the figure eight. And there's a couple of options, but not a lot. And we'll talk a little bit later about other options, you know, for rigging releasable, et cetera, and other uses for a physical uh, figure eight physical descender. Um, the other thing is the um, that we see a lot that are folks coming from the climbing world are the ATCs. And uh, I joke that it's uh, ATC stands for always the climbers because they're the ones that uh, show up with those devices. And the same is true. You have very limited friction options. And so, um, and unfortunately, people have 
die trying to use an ATC on big rappels. And so um, it's, a, it's a challenge. So when it works, it works. But on some of the larger rappels that we do in these canyons in southern Utah, it's not that easy. So the other, the other thing, uh, you know, some of the big ones, I mentioned the MLA critter. Um, also, some of our uh, friends and colleagues here go out with the, the squirrel um, as another one. Of course, I always uh, think about, uh, you know, the, uh, the marketing meetings relative to those, the, the critter and the squirrel. It's like the executives uh, sit around and say, you can name them what you want, but just uh, I hate vowels. So try to get rid of as many as you can. Um, but there's also other figure eight types. So I've used the Hannibal, uh, the Sterling A ATS. Um, there's a hoodoo, which, you know, so these and, and the Petzl Piranha. So they all have different versions of kind of that figure eight style, except they have, you know, bigger arms, smaller arms, um, and the like. And so, you know, you can do multiple wraps, take a, take a leg, um, add an arm later, do full wraps, et cetera. And again, there's no one device that's going to be right. Um, if you're lighter, you know, a Hannibal might be all that you need. Um, if you, if the, if your uh, rope keeps coming off of the arms, uh, a hoodoo might have a bigger arm for you to make you happier. Um, and then the Piranhas, the original design, um, for kind of ease of lock off had been recalled. So now they've taken that away. And so it's, you know, a pretty basic device at this point as well. Um, so let's talk a little bit about another specialty device and a few that we use and um, a few that we've seen around and very popular. So the totem. Uh, you've used a totem before, Vin, and any any thoughts you've had about the totem? You know, I have played with one. Um, I think it's it was super innovative, right? I think I, the way that the way that I look at it as climbing or canyoneering kind of evolved from that climbing sport. Um, and as we started to realize that, hey, we need all these extra options. Uh, the totem kind of came in as the, like, there's every single option possible. Um, and then as, I think, as the sport evolved, you kind of realize, well, okay, we really don't use this part of it very much. And it's not, maybe it's not necessarily worth the wait. And so while it is a great device, uh, there's probably some aspects to it that aren't necessarily needed in, in everyday canyon. Yeah, it is, it is more of an advanced device. And there are, um, you know, how you use it for... Um, things we won't go into today, but the gesture and joker configurations, and you can um, use it as a block. You can rappel down on it. So it's it's a very capable tool um, invented by Rich Carlson, now um, sold by Rock Exotica. Um, so it, it's a it's a great option. A lot of the folks that are very advanced um, use it a number of ways, and so it's you know it's it's worth looking into. Another new device um, that I've seen used, I haven't used personally, is the um, Canyon Zone has the Palakoa pivot. Um, and so this is an interesting one because it, it kind of combines the a lot of different things. It's an interesting, it's got a lot of arms, a lot of legs, and you can and a lot of holes that you can use in different configurations. Yeah, with a I think a more portable form factor. Like I think it yeah. it, it seems like it would fit into my uh, canyoneering arsenal pretty well. Yeah, and, and, and again, a lot of um, options for adding and subtracting frictions because you can use it friction, you can use it in a, you know, I'll call it a vertical versus horizontal mode because of those multiple holes. And so, you know, that's another one where if you're going to get that, I would suggest, uh, strongly suggest kind of studying the options for it so you can get uh, full use out of it as well. Um, the other thing that uh, most of those are going to be aluminum. So everything that we've talked about, you can get steel versions of a few of them, like the ATS, um, et cetera. But the vast majority of alu aluminum, which is a positive and negative, it's very light. So that's helpful. 
but at the same time, it wears down quickly. So, um, you know, I started off on a critter. I burned through a couple of them relatively quickly because I was going out frequently. And um, I've actually moved on for friction reasons and for reasons of durability to a scarab. So scarab's a, an interesting one because it's got a little bar across where you put a loop of the rope through and then it's got four very nice horns that I can wrap. So going back to the concept of the, the friction, um, it gives me the ability to add or subtract on the fly. And because I'm heavier, um, sometimes I need all of those horns to be wrapped in order to slow down. But those come in, um, and it's actually a rescue device originally, but those come in steel and titanium. So um, very, the stainless steel obviously is very um, uh, durable, as is the titanium. Titanium is going to be lighter, and they're actually slightly different sizes as well. Um, Vin, you also use a scarab, coincidentally. Um, tell me your experience, everything else that I missed talking about it. Yeah, you know, it's one of the things that you mentioned first is that there's a, there's a sweet spot when you feel like you can be going down. And for some of the devices that we've used in the past, they're like it, there is no sweet spot between the, the first friction setting and the second. You're kind of either jerky or going too fast. And with the scarab, I think both of us have found that like we can easily control the descent with a couple of fingers and it feels really good. And then the, the other side of it, too, is that since you and I probably practice the most on rescue, uh, I think it's one of the only devices that's rated for a rescue load in that like 500 pound range. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I really do like, you know, I've, I don't use gloves anymore because with the scarab, I control my speed very well through the device. I'm not trying to struggle squeezing my hand or throwing it behind my back. Like is the technique when you're trying to add or subtract uh, friction on the fly by using your body and dragging the rope across it. And so I really, when I go down, there are times when my friction is so in tune with the weight of me and my, my clothes and my bag that I am barely holding on to that rope at all. And so it really helps. And then if I just do a, a slight squeeze, I, I immediately stop. So um, I know that's one that's a favorite for us. The other thing, the other thing so beyond just the scarab that's on your center harness, um, I know you and I both do carry an extra descender. Most of the time it is a figure eight or a version of a figure eight. Um, so there's different uses for that. One is rigging releasable. Um, if you've got, uh, well, uh, some would say to rig releasable every time you go down, um, we'll admit that we don't do that, but if you are going to rig releasable, maybe for some newer folks, or if there's some other, uh, challenges with water, et cetera, um, there's a, a Petzl version that we have that's a little bit more square. So I've used that before on rappel myself. There's a little more friction than the rounded ones. Um, there'll also be some figure eights with little horns. Um, cause if you do it in a figure eight in a, particular configuration, you know, a bite of rope could loop, flip up and kind of trap you a little bit. So, um, so if you're using it for, uh, repelling more than, um, more than not, you might want the little horns. And then you have to also be careful because there's one called the rescue eight, which you can't tell when you're ordering it from Amazon, but it is a huge device that is really too big for personal use. So, um, that's not one that I would suggest that folks go out and buy because when you get it, you will be shocked uh, at how big it is and how much weight it is. Anything else, Vin, that we, from a descender perspective that we need to talk about or let folks know um, when they're thinking about buying? Yeah, you know, I, just going back to the scarab real quick, the only other thing that I wanted to add on to it is that I really like the fact that you don't have to undo the carabiner. Oh, uh, and a lot of these like sandy wet canyons, like we wind up, I, I wind up jamming the carabiners a lot. Um, so being able to get onto rope without taking it off is kind of a nice feature. Yep, that's very true. 
And it's even easier to get off if you're in water. It's easier to get off because you're trying to get that carabiner undone right. uh, underneath the water, murky water that you can't see. So that can cause some challenges too. Okay. So let's take a, a quick break and we'll be right back. I'd like to take a moment and tell you about Black Diamond ATCs. Have you ever found yourself in a canyon on a big rappel being chased by a bobcat? Then the Black Diamond ATC is for you. With no added friction options, the ATC won't slow you down. Add a pair of Black Diamond leather gloves and your speed will only be limited by the burning of your skin through the holes in your gloves. Hey climbers, want to look cool to your new canyoneering friends? Take the Black Diamond ATC and just watch their faces. They will be stunned by your level of canyoneering knowledge. Black Diamond ATCs, they're hot. What do you think of that, Vin? That sounds great. I want one of those. Uh, ringing endorsement, Vin. That was great. <laughs> All right, so a few more things that you need for the very basic. You're going down with people that you know. Uh, let's talk helmets for a second. So first of all, helmets important, Vin? Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, I, I would probably say that out of our group, I've definitely bought the most helmets. Uh, so I've tried everything from like the military-grade bump helmets to the ultralight um, vector helmets the vapor helmets and the half domes and for me it comes down to uh the durability versus weight um but then also being able to have you know being able to breathe in them in this uh southern utah heat yeah there are if you take a look at different options there are some that are you know you're paying that premium for the lightness and sometimes the lightness gives you more holes to be able to breathe and and so that's been that's great to have and i think that the key is you know any really climbing slash canyoneering helmets will work um, i have seen people go out with bicycle helmets um, i guess it's better than nothing but in general the the thing that we absolutely have to have is a helmet because it's not just about the falls, the number of times and the number of, uh, you know, the dents that I've got in the top of my helmet is, um, is amazing when I take a look at it. Um, and I have been through now I'm on my second helmet as well and, um, similar number of dents. So as you're going through a Canyon up climbing, down climbing, et cetera, a lot of times you're looking at your hands, your feet, trying to make sure that you've got good control and you're not watching your head all the time. Um, and so, yes, you will bang it into uh, rocks and trees and other kinds of things, even without a fall. Um, but, uh, but absolutely, if you ever take any kind of fall, protecting your head is, is number one. Anything else you can think of relative to buying use of a helmet, using it every time? Um, just that it, it is kind of a different equation than, than the climbing world. I think that like just because of how much time it's spent in the bag and how much that bag is traversing across difficult terrain, we are a little bit harder on the helmets than, than climbers would be. Yeah. And I have noticed too, I think the heat takes a toll when it's in your bag or in the bag in the garage and it's a hundred degrees out in the summer in Southern Utah. Um, cause I've seen cracking in the plastic and other parts of a helmet that you wouldn't expect otherwise. Um, and it wasn't from any falls on my part. It was just starting to flake, uh, apart. So you do have to get, pay attention to your helmet make sure that you're, um, replacing it when it's appropriate time. Yeah. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the carabiner. So uh, an ongoing, ever, never-ending debate. So a lot of the uh, the screw type versus the auto lock. Um, so do you have your preference? And I'll give you my opinion, Vin. 
Yeah, so I like the fatter carabiners that are screw type and are more affordable. Uh, yeah, the affordability can be tough. So the Autolock, a lot of times the climbers will bring their Autolock carabiners um, with the idea of safety. So part of the struggle that I have um, on the few times that I've had all locks or somebody hands me an all lock and I'm trying to do it is there's a lot of things in canyoning you're trying to do with one hand. And so the screw locks, I can go to my side um, and, you know, most of the time I just leave them unscrewed so I can quickly get it off of my uh, my loop on the side of my harness and then go put it on and make sure that I can screw it and get it down. So sometimes there's auto lock um, carabiners and especially there's different types where you have to push a button and then turn and some are turn and pull. And, and so they have such um, uh, unusual pe- and, and uh, unusual ways to unlock them that sometimes it, it just yeah, kind of slows everything down and it will frustrate you and you can't figure out whether it's stuck or you're just not doing it right. And, and you're not just using your, carabiners in a canyon is the other thing, right? So if you do a setup and you put an auto lock carabiner in there somewhere and now I'm taking it off, now I got to figure out how to get yours off. And so the screw lock tends to be just a little bit uh, easier. Um, and then similar to we talked about with the, the um, descenders, there is the aluminum versus steel, right? So um, I would say for the most part, uh, we use the aluminum just for lightness purposes. They're very durable um, because you're not running except for maybe your center center point harness um, on, your, on your harness where you're putting your descender where a rope may drag apart. Uh, most of the time you're using it as a block or you're clipping a couple of things together. So steel is heavy and doesn't make a lot of sense compared to aluminum. Yeah, I would agree because like, you know, you and I have gone through a number of descenders uh, doing this sport. But I haven't retired that many carabiners because of those rope grooves. Right, right. And, and there are, um, by the way, there's a brand um, that they call Bulletproof where there's, it's actually aluminum carabiner, but it has an inset on the top that allows you to um, run the rope around it. So you use it for your center point um, connection for your descender. And that little inset is steel. So you have kind of the benefit of a steel um, piece there at the top of the, of the carabiner. Um, but the rest of it is aluminum. So you have the best of both worlds with some durability and, uh, and lightness as well. And then also, I think you do the same. I have a set when I go out of large versus small carabiners. Um, and so my, my thought is the larges are usually for, you know, blocks and needing to clip, um, a number of things together. Um, the smalls, uh, are mostly just to, I still am clipping some things together. They still haven't, they're rated enough, um, that they have the strength that I would want. But for the most part, it's just making sure I'm trying to shed a little bit of weight while, while having something that still works to, to, you know, if I'm clipping a bag to something to make sure it doesn't fall down, um, clipping anything on, onto my side. Um, I think, again, I think you do some of the same. I do some of the same. Um, and then I also add in a couple of non-lockers. Like if I'm clipping stuff, if I'm bringing down a rope bag, then that's a great time for me to use a non-locker that's light. Okay. Great. And then the last thing maybe we'll talk about today on, on the podcast is, um, you know, where to get your carabiner. So, of course, we always want you to um, support your local shops, your canyoneering uh, shops, um, and people will get, you know, similar kinds of items online. But maybe we'll talk about that versus what you see on Amazon. I know you had experience of buying something amazingly cheap on Amazon and what happened there. Yeah, I think I got uh, two... $200 scarabs for like $70. And I don't know oh. what was going on, but I was buying them at like 2 a.m. So I think I was already making poor decisions. Um, 
And then I got this like super poorly written email about, you know, needing some stuff for me. And yeah, I, I just, for me, like with these life supporting pieces of gear, um, I'd definitely rather just go to a reputable source now. Yeah. And on, on Amazon, I know there's been some uh, online videos that have tested um, kind of no name brands from um, or or lesser known brands direct from China. And, and they've done reasonably well. So it's not like, you know, there's a lot of uh, factor of margin of safety on most of the canyoneering equipment we have for the ropes and the carabiners and the descenders, et cetera. Um, but I agree to save maybe a couple of dollars. It's really not worth it. And so, um, yeah, so looking up at the different types of carabiners, I think it's really just, you know, aluminum, large versus small. Usually the HMS um, is what you're going to need for the, for the shape in order to be able to do most of the things that you want to do in, in canyoneering. And I would suggest, you know, again, supporting your local shops is great. Um, supporting those that uh, have helped develop canyoneering. Um, some of them that we've mentioned already and their, their businesses, um, including Imlay and others is also um, wonderful online. If you can order it from there. Okay. Anything else on, on carabiners or anything that we talked about in this uh, first show, Vin? No, I think that pretty much covered it. Okay, so we'll call it uh, quits on the uh, the first part of the basic equipment that will get you out in the field. We'll do another follow-up episode on some additional things that you will want in terms of things like a gloves and a cover, a tether, um, bags, and, and some of the pluses and minuses of each one of those. So until then, thank you, and we will see you again next time.